Well, hello again. It's good to see more of you that snuck in. That's awesome. I'm proud of you for getting in here under the darkness. That's cool. And a uh, special welcome to you if you are watching online. Uh, we know a lot of people check out churches online, maybe for even a year before they come in person. So uh, if that's you, thanks for watching. If um, you know you can't be here because of work, or maybe you're, you're uh, contributing downstairs with kids, thank you so much for, for watching and uh, being a part of this. So um, we have this So What About series coming in two weeks, and we're really excited about it. One of the reasons we, or mo- the main reason we called it So What About is because that's kind of what, what we want to do with, with anybody who has questions about anything, is walk with them in uh, helping them discover the answer that God has for them. And so as I'm talking tonight, maybe there'll be a question that comes up with something I say, maybe something you've been thinking about and has nothing to do with what I say, on that welcome card in the seat in front of you, on the back is a box that says, so what about? And if there's a question you have or something that's been troubling you or anything like that, write the question in that box, and then after service, you can put it in the, um, in the, uh, in the box at the inf- information table, and we will get back to you this week. Not just with an answer, hopefully, but more of a, hey, have you thought of it this way? Or, you know, here's, here's what maybe Jesus said or the Apostle Paul said about that. And you can do that online where it says, ask a question also, where you found... Um, the, uh, the, the service you're, you're watching right now. So we are um, in our last part, la- part four of our series that we're calling Adulting 101, uh, Being Better at Life. Uh, the reason we did this because uh, it's a new year and you know what I've been discovering as I get older and older, um, I know you guys don't do this, but being an adult is hard. It's not at all what I thought it would be. When I was 16, when I was thinking to when I was gonna be 36, I was like, man, I'm gonna have it all together. We, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be making this much money. I'm gonna be having this, these many kids. I'm gonna be driving this. No, it's not that. In fact, you know, being an adult is hard. And I, I thought it was just me until, you know, I went to the wealth of knowledge that we have in this world that we call Twitter. And so I went to the, the philosophers of Twitter, and I asked them, what's it like to be an adult? And here's, here's the answers that we found. Here, here's adulting tweets. One of the weirder things about being an adult is having a favorite stovetop burner, yet nobody talks about it. <laughs> right? That's the one I use. I don't know about you. Or you have your favorite. Okay, so this, uh, being an adult is having the we have food at home talk with yourself. Now see... The reason I got, one of the reasons God gave me a wife is because I never have that talk with myself. She has to have it with me. I say, hey, what do you want to do for dinner? Well, we have this, this, and this in the fridge. I know, but what do you want to do for dinner? And then we eat the leftovers, which is great. Okay, I'm an adult, and I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want, and I wish someone would take this power from me. <laughs> you can relate. As an adult, I can literally do whatever I want to do, but I always end up wanting to just go to sleep. Yes, especially, you know, parents. Uh, used to sneak out of my house to go to parties. Now I sneak out of parties to go to my house. <laughs> right? See, it's funny because it's true. Spoiler alert, this is for you kids that are about to be adults. Adulthood is 96% of you going, well, I hope this is how it works and I'll keep doing it till someone yells at me. You feel like that's how it is at work or, you know, when you're doing the chores that someone else usually does? Anyway. Apparently, being an adult means Googling phone numbers that call you rather than answering them. (laughs) That's not just me, right? 
And if you don't leave a voicemail, I'm not calling you back. And why are you calling me in the first place? You can text. <laughs> Stop being rude, just text me. Nathan Moody. The only domestic instinct my parents have managed to pass on to me is the tendency to hoard multiple plastic bags in another plastic bag, despite the fact that I'll probably never need this many plastic bags in my adult life. You all have that drawer, good. Being an adult is pretty easy. You just feel tired all the time and tell people how tired you are and they tell you how tired they are. That's about right. As a child, I thought I'd have to deal with the Bermuda Triangle a lot more than I have in my adult life. And quicksand and lava. Don't you remember like you were in school and like, okay, now when you get in quicksand, you, I've never even seen quicksand. Anyway, and I haven't had to stop, drop and roll at all either which they made it sound like, like every other Saturday you're gonna, have to, you're gonna catch on fire and have to roll around. Anyway, remember when you were little and you'd fall on the trampoline and everyone would just keep jumping so you couldn't get back up? That's being an adult. <laughs> Number one, not leaving my room. Number two, not leaving the house. Number three, missing someone's birthday party. My childhood punishments have become my adult hobbies. <laughs> Being afraid to check your bank account is the adult version of being afraid to check your grades. Mm, see, that? They're deep, aren't they? These philosophers, they're deep. Me as a kid, I can't wait until I'm an adult and nobody can tell me what to do. Me as an adult, someone please tell me what to do. Which is why we are doing this series, Adulting 101, because being an adult is hard. In fact, being a, you, I mean, you just become an adult. You just, you know, keep eating your, your veggies and stay out of trouble and you become an adult, but you don't succeed as an adult just by being there, right? It actually takes work. In fact, we've been saying throughout this series that if you want to have a better life, we need to be better at life. And so we've been working on some tools. We, the first week we talked about um, setting goals and how to, how to meet those goals. And then we talked about uh, relationships and how to, how to be an adult in a relationship and um, you know, asking the question, what does love look like is really the key to healthy relationships. And then uh, last week, for the 75% uh, of you who weren't here, we talked about how to be an adult with money. And I made the mistake of telling you the week before that we were gonna talk about money, and then for some reason you were all like, oh yeah, I don't really need to go to that one. <laughs> so you, conveni you convenient conveniently missed it. That's cool. It's online. Go online and watch it, which I know some of you did. I'm just giving you a hard time. I hope the, hope the football game was worth it. So this week, we're talking about adulting, finishing it off with talking about work. I know. I, I, I really thought you were going to cheer right there. I don't know. I thought you'd be excited to talk about work. See, I don't know. I hate work. I hate it. I mean, look at me. Obviously, I hate work right? Now, I, I love my job, but I hate work, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But work, see, so work and jobs aren't necessarily the same thing. They can be, but when I say work tonight, I kind of want to just lay, make sure we, we're all on the same page here. When I say work, here's what I mean. Work is whatever you have to do that you don't want to do. So even if you're retired, you have work. Even if you're 12 years old, you have work. Even if you're unemployed, you still have work. Work is what you have to do, is whatever you have to do that you don't want to do. 
And for me, there's a lot, it's, it's amazing, there's a lot I don't want to do that I have to do. Like, there's, there's this thing in me where, like, if it's any work, I try to avoid it. So I will sit and think, okay, I'm watching TV. If I, if I walk this way to the fridge and then to the bathroom, it'll be two less steps. So therefore, I will do that in five minutes. Right, you map out, so you do the least amount, amount of work to, you know, get your snack and go to the bathroom. Um, like, for some reason, I always try to do the very minimum required of me. In school, when they said, okay, you need to write a 300-word essay, which seemed like so huge, and you realize 300 words is nothing, I would write my essay, like I would count, I'd spend more time counting words than writing the essay and doing the outline for the essay, which would have gotten me the A. So I would write 298 words for every essay, and then I would end it with the end. 300 words, we're set. That's what you asked for. Do the minimum required, just do enough to get it done, and then I can move on to what I actually want to do, right? You guys are the same way, I'm sure. You, you, get, you get the stuff you have to do. You get that done as quickly as possible. Maybe you, you, know, you get it done good enough so you know, the house doesn't fall apart or your boss doesn't complain at you. Um, so that you get it done good enough so that you have time to do what you actually want to do. I mean, that's just human nature, right? I mean, I feel like it starts with when we're kids, kids in school, right? You get, you get done with, like, even in, like, kindergarten and preschool, you get done with, with your work really fast so that you can go to, like, the creative corner or go to recess. I, we were asking Danny today at lunch, my, um, my kindergarten son, and we said, you know, what's your, because we always say, what's your favorite thing in school? I don't know, recess, right? Kids are so unique. So I said, we said, what's your least favorite Thing. We had to explain what the word least means. But we said, what's your least favorite thing at school? And he said, math. I don't know what math they do in kindergarten. It can't be that hard. And, you know, he's a pretty good student. So we're like, well, you're good at math. Why, why don't you like it? Because it's before recess. And so we have to wait to do math and then go to recess. It's like you, you do what you have to do in order to do what you want to do. You know, like you clean your room as fast as you shove everything under your bed and in your closet when you're a kid, Right? So you're, so you're done. Um, you, you probably don't do this now, and obviously I don't either, but when you're vacuuming, you don't need to move the chairs, right? You don't need to move the front. Just get around it because nobody's going nobody's gonna to see it, right? And then tell you have to move the furniture. Anyway, it's disgusting. And so here's how we think, and it, it's, we, we don't use these words because if we did, we'd, we'd probably feel bad about ourselves, but work is hard, so we work hard to avoid working too hard, Right? Work is hard, I don't want to do it, so we actually end up working hard to avoid working too hard. Um, like me spending more time counting words than just writing the silly essay. Now the problem is, the problem with this attitude towards work and how we usually see work is most of life is work. Most of life is having to do things we don't necessarily want to do, and so that means for most of our life, we're either dreading what we're going to have to do, like what you're going to do when you get in the car today, and you're like, oh, shoot, tomorrow's Monday. Or, so we're dreading what we're going to have to do, or we're hating what we're actually doing in that moment, and just waiting for some future time where we're like, okay, I'm working, everybody's working for the weekend, right? Well, then on the weekend, you, you have chores you got to do. You got to keep the house going. So we, try, we end up trying to avoid most of our life. There's no way to live. 
That's not the, the full abundant life Jesus actually said he came to give his followers. Work becomes something that we just have to do in order to do the things we want to do, right? But it's even worse than that. Welcome to Cross Creek. See, it's not just what you have to do that makes it so bad, but who you have to do it with or for makes it even worse. Think about it, right? Those, if, if, if you stay at home with the kids, it, staying at home would be, I mean, it sounds amazing if there weren't kids there, right? You, who you have to do it for, these ungrateful little angels, right? It makes it even harder. Or that demanding boss who's never satisfied, yet never is really clear about their expectations of you, or, or totally micromanages everything you do. Or that, that client who is just completely unreasonable. Work would be great if it weren't for all the customers, right? Or coworkers who seem to, you know, even care less than you do. Or even more annoying, care way more than they should about their position because they're trying to climb and claw their way to the top. I mean, no wonder we don't want to work. And so here's, here's something I've discovered. I'm, I'm sure you've discovered. I'm not telling you anything new. But work often forces us to do what we don't want to do with people we don't want to be with. And that's most of our life. Work forces us to do what we don't want to do with people we don't want to be with. Now, this obviously, this is a broad generalization. But I think in some areas of our life, in our work life, we see this is true. Now, here's the thing, though. It's, this is a universal problem that most of us have, but it wasn't always like this. It wasn't meant to be like this. In fact, work is not bad. Work was part of our original perfect design. When God created the first, the first man, however he did that, and the first woman, however he did that, and, you know, we call them Adam and Eve. I believe there was a real historical Adam and Eve. There's evidence that Jesus believed that, too, so... I believe it, and I can tell you why. That makes a difference for me. But our, in our original design, there was work. Here's what it says in the, in the account of the, the first man, that God made the man, and then he, the Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to relax and take it easy and live off his pension. No, to work it, work it. Not work it, but work the land. <laughs> and take care of it. Work was actually part of our original, this is before there was any sin or any evil or any sickness or any, any bad stuff in the world. There was work and it was good and it was what he was designed to do. We are designed to work. We're designed to work, yet we try to avoid it most of our life. Here's the thing, Adam didn't hate it. There's no record of him complaining. Everything was perfect. He wanted to do this work. So what's the difference? I mean, why did, why did, you know, originally, with our original design, we, we enjoyed work, it was great, we, it was definitely part of who we were, and now we, we hate it, we try to avoid it. What's the difference? I would say purpose. Purpose. Adam knew why he was doing what he was doing. He, God had designed this garden, it was his job to take care of it, to cultivate it, to make it grow. He had purpose. We want purpose to our work. See, there's people who love their jobs 
You can still hate work, but love their jobs, which could be work, they could hate it. Another person could hate it, but they, get perp- they have a purpose behind it. There's a reason they do it and, it, and it motivates them. I mean, some examples, right? Take your, remember your, and maybe you're not in high school yet, but your high school physical fitness test, right? If you, if you weren't the, the sports ball type of person, it was just something you had to do. Right? You had to run that mile. You had to do, climb this rope or whatever your physical fitness thing was. You just, you just got it done. You know, I remember in middle school, we, we always had to run the mile. And so we would run the mile talking to each other. And this is how we would run our mile and get done in 15 minutes. And good job. PE's over, you know. So take that motivation compared to, hey, in three weeks, we're shipping off to war. Here's your basic training. Here's, what you're, here's all the skills you're gonna need to do. You're gonna work hard, right? Because you know you're going into combat. You're doing all this training because you have a purpose. You know why you are going through this physical fitness stuff. Compared, so basic training compared to uh, high school physical testing. Or, and no offense to any math teachers, but math is horrible. Take your eighth grade math test, right? And how motivated you were for that math test. Compare that to the NASA scientists who are using the same math to put people on the moon or to put uh, ex- the robots on Mars. Right? It's the same type of thing, but there's motivation behind it. Why? Because they have a purpose. There's a purpose to it. They know why they are doing this work. They have a reason to do it. See, purpose makes the difference. And when you know your purpose, it creates passion. Purpose produces passion. You have something that you're behind. You have something that you're, you're fighting for, fighting towards. I mean, here's, here's another example. Uh, pretend I told you, I, somehow you're in a, in a locked room. It gets better. You're in a locked room, and there's a pile of bricks in one corner. And I say, hey, I need you to move that pile of bricks from that corner to this corner. And then I, I leave the room. How motivated are you to move that pile of bricks? Why should I? Who do you think you are? How long am I gonna have to be here? I'm obviously taller than you, I can take you. You shouldn't have left, right? You you don't have the motivation. You don't have any purpose behind it. But what if I told you under those bricks was a puppy who was about to die? That's horrible. I was told not to use that. Okay, but there's a puppy who's about to die under these bricks. You're motivated. Now the bricks are gold bricks and you get to keep everyone you move. You're motivated, why? Why? Because there's a purpose. You're saving a puppy and you're making money. There's a difference. Purpose produces passion. You're gonna be passionate about getting those gold bricks into your bank account and off that puppy. Why would you do that? So purpose produces passion. I mean, it's why people stay in, in low paying yet rewarding jobs because they realize there's more than just the money. There's, they wanna be doing something that they are passionate about and they have a purpose, so they are passionate about it. They know why they are doing it and they believe in the reason for it. See, when we have a purpose we believe in, we are passionate about fulfilling it. And if, if you're kinda thinking along as you're listening, you, maybe you're, asked, you're saying, John, that's, that's wonderful. You know, nice story thing. I can't believe you said that, but you know, it's hard to be passionate about doing the laundry. 
Like, I know, I know why I'm doing laundry, right? It's hard to be passionate about that. It's hard to be passionate about day in, day out, having to do, like, IT work for these people who can't remember their passwords, even though it's one, two, three, four. It's hard to be passionate about that. I agree. I agree. But maybe there's a deeper purpose than just clean clothes or a deeper purpose than just getting a paycheck. And so how do we find purpose in our work, whether it's a career or whether it's just the stuff we have to do because we're adults? How do we find purpose in work that seems pointless, even, even life-sucking, like the stuff we have to do? How do we find purpose in our work? Well, I think the answer is in an ancient letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to people um, called the Colossians. They were in a city called uh, Colossia, and they were basically um, a group of Jesus followers. And the Apostle Paul was writing them a letter saying, hey, this is what it's like to really be a Jesus follower. The Apostle Paul was a, a Christian hater. He, he was a one-man wrecking crew for Christianity in the early days. He was, it was his job to stamp it out. And then he met Jesus, and his whole life was changed and became this uh, church planner around the Mediterranean world. And basically, you could argue one of the reasons that we are here right now talking about Jesus and even reading this book is because of the Apostle Paul. And so he's writing to these people that he's actually never met, and he's telling them, here's what it's like to be a Jesus follower. Here's, here's what it's all about. Here's the purpose behind it. And so in that ancient letter, there's a, a short little uh, a couple verses that basically tell us how to have purpose in our work. And now, if you're not a Jesus follower and, you know, you're here checking out church, checking out Christianity, checking out online, um, you're off the hook today. You're just like, hey, I get to just sit and relax. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. We're not going to pass an offering basket. You just get to kind of look behind the curtain and say, okay, this is kind of what, you know, um, what the Apostle Paul said Christianity is supposed to be like. Right? Now, if you are a Jesus follower, that's a whole different story. But I just want to kind of lift the burden. But here's the thing. I think what we're going to learn, the principle we're going to learn, can help whether you're a Jesus follower or whether you're not. Now, if you are a Jesus follower, and maybe you've been one for years and years and years, you grew up in the church, that type of thing, what I'm about to read you is something you've probably heard. Maybe hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times. Maybe, you know, if you, if you went to, like, the Christian school like I did, you, you did book reports and stuff on this verse. So you've heard it a lot. My challenge to you is don't just hear it again. Think through it in your adult life, how this applies to your actual adult life today, tomorrow, Tuesday, okay? So let's not just let it fly over. So we're gonna be in the book of Colossians. We call it the book. It's a letter that Paul wrote. And uh, chapter three, verse 23, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, everything's gonna be on the screen. But uh, let's, let's start with the first three words in this part. So he's talking about work, and he says, whatever you do. Now, the, the fun part about Paul's writing is, you know, trying to find the wiggle room in what he says. Okay, so when the actual Greek word, the ancient Greek word, when he says the word whatever, actually means whatever, anything, everything you do, in everything you do, whatever you do. Okay, so are we clear on that? The stuff you like to do? The stuff you don't like to do. The stuff you get fairly paid to do. The stuff you don't get appreciated to do, but you still have to do because no one else is doing it. All of it. Whatever you do. And here's what he says about whatever you do. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Everything you do, 
work at it with all your heart, with everything you have. In other words, in whatever you are doing, do your best. Do your very absolute best. For that client who, you know, only pays $15, do your very best. The same best you would do for that client who pays you $1,500 every time you see him. Um, here's, you know, it's interesting. Some people, it feels like, and maybe you've experienced this, some people, it, they, they do their jobs as if they're doing you a favor. Right? Have you ever experienced that? Where maybe you, you go to get some, get some help, maybe with your phone or something, and you get there and they're like, what do you need? You're welcome that I showed up to work today. Oh, that's what you need? Oh, okay, whatever. Right? So we, we've been looking for a new car because our other car got totaled and, and we've been going to car dealerships and working with sales people. And man, that's fun. It's really the, like the best experience. But it was interesting. We would go to one dealership and you know we, we got an older guy and he didn't, I'm not gonna tell you where. I'll tell you later if you want. They're not paying me to tell you the good stuff. So anyway, so we get this one dealer who, um, it really didn't seem like he cared. We said, hey, we're looking for this, this, and this. He's like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe something out in the, in the back lot. And so, we say, and he starts walking. And we're like, okay, are we supposed to follow you? And like, so we did, because he kind of like, so we walk with him, just kind of talking, he, he's talking like this, we couldn't even hear him. And we get to this car, it's totally beat up, it's disgusting, it's you know, not what we wanted at all. And then, so we're kind of checking it out to see if we like the style of car, and turn around, and he's, know, lighten. He's like, oh, do you mind? I'm like, well, no, you know, I used to smoke, it smells good, but uh, who, who does that, you know, with a customer, right? And so it's like, he was just annoyed that we were there trying to buy a car from him and get him his commission. It was weird. Then we went to another dealership with this 19-year-old kid, 19, fresh out of high school, at a, at a dealership that doesn't pay their people commission, just pays them a salary, and he bent over backwards to help us out. He like, he, he drove a half hour away to go get a car so we could go see it and then came back and then we were like, oh yeah, that's nice. And then we said, but we don't want it. And then we, you know, we test drove it to be nice, but we obviously didn't want it. But we ended up buying from him because he actually cared about us, right? He wasn't doing, we weren't doing him a favor, but well, he wasn't doing, how do I say it? <laughs> it wasn't like he's like, hey, thanks for, you know, you're welcome, I'm here. It was more like, hey, thanks for being here. I want to help you. I want to give you the best car buying experience I can. It was completely different because he understood his purpose. You know, he, he cared. He had a passion about, about cars and about helping people, and it showed, and it earned our business. And you might say, you know, that, you know, he's 19, he's got the energy. That's, that's nice sentiment. You know, everything you do, do your best, work really, really hard. That sounds great. You know, that's easy to say on a Sunday, but... Monday's coming, and I know what I'm going to have to do, and that sounds exhausting to do that every day for everything I'm doing, to work at it with all my heart. Yeah, it does sound exhausting, but I haven't gotten to the purpose part, remember? Purpose produces passion. So what's the purpose in working with all our heart with whatever we do? He goes on, so whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So Jesus, if you're a Jesus follower, in everything you do, whatever you do, you are doing it for the one who loves you. 
not just, you know, feels good about you and you know, say, hey, you're kind of cool. The one who loves you enough to die for you. The, the one who's not mad at you, the one who's not disappointed in you, the one who is for you. And everything you do, you are doing it for him. You are motivated by the fact that whatever you are doing, whoever you th- may think you're working for, you're actually working for the king of the universe. So how does that work? Right? How, how do you wash dishes for Jesus? How do you, you know, write that speeding ticket for Jesus? You, you don't, by the way. That's, don't do that to us. I'm just kidding. It's, it's our fault for speeding. So how do, you, how do you work for Jesus? I mean, you know, like, John, you're the one, work, you work for a church. You're working for Jesus. How does that work? Well, answer me this. What does Jesus care about? What does he care about the most? Does he care about prophets? Not, you know, prophets like, here's what's going to happen in the future, but like, prophets. No, he doesn't need more money. Does he, does he care about, you know, that you have a clean house? Oh, wow, I was going to love you, but your house is dirty, so that thing I did on the cross, forget about that, right? You didn't, you didn't clean your house good enough. It's not what he cares about. What, is, what does Jesus care about? What work does Jesus really want us, me, you, to be doing? Love. Love each other. He said, love each other as I have loved you. So are we loving those that he loves? See, the purpose of your work is to show Jesus' love. The purpose of your work, whether it's at home, whether it's you're getting paid for it, whether you're not, the purpose of your work is to show Jesus' love. You aren't just selling a product. You are showing Jesus' love by going above and beyond to serve that person. You aren't just vacuuming. You are doing the job no one else wants to do because that's what Jesus did for us. And when you have this perspective, you're not working for them, right? Whether they appreciate it or not, you're not working for them. You're working for him. You're working for Jesus. So if they don't appreciate it or they don't reciprocate it, it's okay because it's not about them. See, when you have this view and you have this perspective that you are working for the king who died for you, that whatever you are doing, you are showing other people Jesus' love, you actually develop a passion to get up and work because there is an eternal purpose behind it. And this perspective produces your purpose. When you have this perspective that your work is to show people Jesus' love, that gives you your purpose. And what did we say? Purpose produces passion. So in your work, is your purpose just to get it done, get paid, or, you know, to in, or is it to in some way, somehow, show someone how much Jesus loves them through the way you are loving them? You're like, yeah, but they're a stranger and they're yelling at me. And by loving, I'm meaning being committed to their best. See, do we deserve Jesus being committed to our best? Absolutely not. So it has nothing to do with deserving. It has to do with showing love. Are we showing love to them? Are we showing Jesus' love to them? Do you hate work? Change your perspective. Are you doing it to get ahead, to get paid, or to, or to simply get it done? Or is it about loving your family by providing for them? 
is it you know, showing that customer how much Jesus loves them and, and, and how much Jesus serves by going above and beyond? Is it showing how God takes care of your needs by taking care of the needs of those littles in your house and that one big who seems to need more work than the littles? Is that showing Jesus' love? See, Jesus' followers should be the most sought-after bosses and employees in the world. Not because they, you know, produce all these prophets and, you know, they're the most skilled or whatever, but because being around them is to be loved. They strive to make your life better. They might not be the most, you know, the most um, skilled, the most gifted, but when you work with them or you work for them or they work for you, you know that they have your best interests in mind. You know they are devoted to your good. If you think about it, the harder you work at something, the more enjoyable it can be for you. I mean, the, if, you're, if, you're, if your attitude is, yeah, I just got to get through another day, you know, I got 10 more years till retirement, we'll just get through it. Or, man, I, I got 10 more years till retirement. I got 10 years to make a difference. I got 10 years to show people how much Jesus loves them. It's the same job, but different motivation. And the more you put into it, the more you'll get out of it. See, work like this with a purpose. If you work like this with a purpose, you might just get that promotion. You might just get, you know, a better job offer because they notice the difference. They notice that you did great work with the little bit of responsibility you had. And so they want to give you more and more responsibility because they trust you. Jesus told stories about that. So do yourself a favor and work hard. Okay, that's, you know, I'll work harder, yay, happy new year, right? How do we practically do this? How do we actually do it? You know, I could say it, and that's great, but if you can't use it tomorrow, what's the point, right? So here's, here's uh, three ideas that I think we get out of this passage from the Apostle Paul that will help us be better at work. And in fact, it's, it's three questions that you can ask yourself. How do we practically be better at work? In whatever you do, whatever you do, everything you do, the stuff you want to do, the stuff you don't want to do, in whatever you do, ask these three questions. Who am I working for? Who am I working for? Like, am I appreciated by my boss? Am I appreciated by my employees? You are appreciated by the one who really matters. That's who appreciates you. That's the one that matters. Does anybody see what I do you know, this, these, these little kids have no idea what I'm doing for them, but I'm slaving every day. I, I, you know, I wake up tired. I, I make lunch tired. I go to bed tired. Do they, do they even know? The one who ultimately will reward you knows. And he loves how you love those kids. So who am I working for? And then ask, what's my purpose? In doing this task or this job, this work, what's my purpose? Is it a paycheck? Is it a better office? Is it to not to have to hear the complaining constantly? Or is it to show the love of Jesus? What is your purpose? So who am I working for? What is my purpose? And then how can I fulfill that purpose today? My purpose is to show the love of Jesus. In whatever my work is, how can I actually do that today? What's maybe one way? then ask for opportunities to do it. Then ask for God's strength to do it. Because if you try to do it all on your own, you'll get exhausted. 
And then when, once you look for the opportunities, or actually when you, when you ask for opportunities, keep your eyes open to see the opportunities, right? Instead of just looking down, look up and see who's around you. Who can you serve today? And you'll actually find that you will develop a passion to do the job, to do the work that you used to dread because now you have a purpose. And that purpose produces passion. You now have a perspective that gives you purpose and a purpose that makes you passionate. In fact, for me, you know, my natural, if you, if you know me well, my natural bent is not people. You're like, why are you a pastor? I'm getting to that. When I, was, when I was like five years old and my dad was a pastor, I used to say, I want to be a pastor when I grow up. I didn't know what that meant. I got older, I knew what a pastor was. I was like, there's no way I'm doing that. I don't like people. You guys are cool. But everyone, I don't like other people. In fact, the reason I first, I, I play guitar and that was like my first thing being on stage. The reason I learned guitar, the reason I got on stage to play in a band was so I didn't have to mingle with people. Because when you're up on stage, you don't, you know, oh, I'm tuning my guitar. I don't have time to talk to you, right? I could hide on stage. I didn't have to talk to anybody. And so I became a teacher. Not because I like kids. Couldn't stand them. Because I loved history. And if you love history and you want to make money, you have to be a teacher. So I became a teacher. Not just any teacher, a middle school teacher. The worst kind of teacher. <laughs> and so I'm... You know, I would tell the kids on day one, I'm not a teacher because I like kids. I'm a teacher because I like history. So we're going to learn history. That was really motivating for those 13-year-olds. <laughs> but slowly, something started to change. I started to change. My perspective started to change. And I, like my whole life, I loved history, just loved everything about like medieval Europe and you know, ancient Rome and all this type of stuff, American history, all of it, loved it. I started getting bored with it. I actually started caring more about the kids than history because my perspective started to change. And then the weirdest thing happened, something I swore I would never do, I became a youth pastor like a pastor for like teenagers. Like I hated youth group growing up. I grew up in the church. I hated youth, you know, it was all about like swallowing live goldfish and throwing whipped cream at people and that type of thing, which, you know, when I was a youth pastor, we didn't do that stuff because I hated it. But I said, I, would, I will never be a youth pastor. But my heart got changed. My perspective changed. And I actually loved kids more than I loved history. But as a youth pastor, I said, you know, this is great. You know, there's not a whole lot of expectations on me. I can, you know, tell kids I'm cool and they still believe me, so that's awesome. But there's no way I'm ever going to become a pastor for adults. Right? I mean, like, by the time you're an adult, you should have it figured out. Kids, they need help. And, you know, kids are a lot more fun than adults. No offense, you, could, you know it. So I said, I'm never going to do that. But then my perspective started changing again because my perspective was Jesus. If, how can I best show Jesus' love? How can I best show Jesus' love to these kids? I started thinking about it. The, you know, I had these kids in youth group for like an hour a week. That was it. But the parents lived with them day in, day out. The parents set the culture of the home. So if I could show the parents what it means to love like Jesus, to be loved by Jesus, then that would change the kids' lives. 
and my perspective started to change again, and it, per, it gave me a purpose, it gave me a passion, and now I have this job where, like, I would never, 10 years ago, you'd be like, you're gonna be, you're gonna start being part of starting a church and be, a, no way. But now it's like a job that I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, you guys pay me? You're, that's ridiculous. I would have done this for, for no, I, I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> the people who decide my salary are in here, so. <laughs> but, so my perspective changed, and it gave me a purpose, and now I'm doing something I'm truly passionate about because of that change of perspective. So, I mean, I'm not saying that to brag, I'm saying that can be all of us. If you change your perspective, whatever you're doing, you know, whether you change your job or not, whether you get a job or not, if your perspective is Jesus and your purpose is showing his love, it'll produce a passion for what you're doing. I mean, what if you didn't have to dread what's coming tomorrow? What if you didn't have to know that when you go to sleep tonight, you're gonna have to wake up and have to, have to do what you don't want to do, and it's, you have to do it all week long? What if that wasn't the feeling? What if every day you had passion to do what you had to do? Yeah, you have to do it, but what if you had passion behind it? What if like, what you had to do turned into what you want to do? What if everything you had to do actually had a true purpose behind it? Wouldn't that make life better? I mean, so let's be better at life by changing our perspective, by fulfilling our purpose and developing, developing a passion for work. Because there's a true purpose behind it. And here's, here's what I think we've discovered is when you work to love, you'll love to work. When you work to love, you'll actually end up loving to work because there's that purpose and the passion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that, that you, you, you don't just leave us on our own, that you're not just, you know, make us and then you're disinterested in our lives, but that you actually want us to be better at life and to have better lives. Thank you that you, you uh, show us how to do that. Thank you that uh, you created us to work and not to hate it and not to dread it, but to actually uh, have passion for it, to actually have a purpose behind it. So please show us, change our perspective, change our view, show us how we can love others through whatever work we have to do, and then give us uh, your passion to love others. Thank you for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So next week, won't be here, Super Bowl. And the week after, we start our So What About series, which is a great series to invite friends to, invite family to, and to show up to. We're not, we're not talking about money at all, so you're going to be fine. All right? But I hope you have a good week, and we will see you again in two weeks. Thanks for being here. Mm-hmm.